Hello, and welcome to Code Patrol, the podcast that views the world through code-colored glasses. I'm your host, Lisa Vaz, Content Marketing Manager at Contrast Security and a former cybersecurity reporter. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're pleased to welcome an application security ninja onto the show. Our guest is Jimmy Zhu, Practice Director of DevSecOps for Trace3. Trace3 describes itself as an elite technology consultancy that provides IT strategy, solutions, and services to the world's most admired companies, offering them broad expertise that spans security, cloud, and data. Trace3's DevSecOps practice under Jimmy is uniquely differentiated in that all of the members have development, DevOps, and security backgrounds. They've all been industry practitioners and can both advise on program transformation, and they can also engineer technology solutions. That's a rarity in this area. For our part, Contrast describes Trace3 as one of our core channel partners when it comes to application security consulting and solutions advisory and implementation services. We recently had Jimmy on a fireside chat with Contrast CTO and co-founder Jeff Williams to get their observations from the field for the state of DevSecOps in 2023. They also talked about how organizations can kickstart or enhance their existing program, topics that we're going to explore even further with Jimmy today. Jimmy Zhu, welcome to Code Patrol. Thanks for coming. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Pleasure as well. Uh, always a pleasure to work with uh, Contrast and also, of course, uh, anytime with Jeff is great. Yeah, well, ditto. I think he feels the same way. So let's start off with a two-part question about operating models and responsibility. You've said that the biggest challenge when setting up a DevSecOps program is the role of responsibility, as in what dev should be doing versus what's best handled by security. What have you found to be the best way to set up an operating model? Yeah, so that's certainly, you know, we, I get the luxury of talking to many different customers, working with different customers. That's the that is one key theme. Um, you know, I would say communication, right? You know, it, it's, it sounds simple. Um, defining, communicate, defining what's best model works for both both sides is is a start. But even before that, right? I think part of it is mindset change. And I know I talk about this. Jeff talked about this. Larry talked about this. Is fundamentally change. Uh, the mindset of security, right? Security professionals. And this is, I've been a security professional for a long time, but some of the concepts of how you communicate with developers is not inherently built in from what we grew up with from all the cyber educations, right? So it's all around having empathy, right? Mm -hmm. So by empowerment, empowerment come from how you, how you communicate, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a difference between you want to let them handle more, you want to push down responsibility, you can see if you say that you haven't mean it, right? You have to change your processes, right? If you still have security being part of the approval process, if you're still trying to, you know, you say one thing and do the other, uh, and that's what the the roles of responsibility trust fails. Mm -hmm. But it starts with the communication, uh, but also you know, change your mindset, have the right frame of mind as a security person to 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 talk to developers as and work it out. Uh, the angle is you want to offload and empower them because they are close to the context. Mm -hmm. uh, you just have to trust, right? Trust in two ways. Um, that's probably the the short answer. Um, I'm just going to comment here that also that 
it's not just data and security. Um, as we move to the cloud, moving more DevOps, right? We start really talk about DevSecOps, the role of DevOps or some called SRE or now platform engineering teams, they play a huge factor in, in, in this dynamics. So it's really three ways, two way. So you've got to get an operating model that accommodates all of the, all of the people who are contributing to the DevSecOps program. That makes sense. Well, let me know. I let me know. Give me some nightmare scenarios of what you've seen go wrong when there isn't a good operating model in place. So the good thing is there's a lot of nightmares that that I've seen, right? And this is all these are we use these as case studies for our customers. Well, you know, one thing the following concept. Well, let's offload one of the common things we talk about is let us push down and power developers, let them be and a person reviewing the findings of security testing, right? Let them, give them the autonomy to review and even empower them to say yes and no. It's a true, it's a true finding or false positive and remediate. It all sounds great, right? Mm -hmm. Security just, I know Larry talked about this, me and Larry talked about this. Security just be the coaches and two smithers. Concept is great. When you execute, you got to understand that you might end up, if you don't, not careful, of dev stuck with all the responsibilities and they're not getting a lot of help. Or because uh, the tool is not modernizing, uh, that you're still stuck with noise, right? Um, it's okay to push down to them, but you have to be very careful of still not overload them, right? Their goal uh, as you move towards more of, you know, modern small apps move really, really quickly, deploy really quickly, everything is small services. Uh, they don't have time, right? How do we offload that responsibility uh, give them responsibility, but make it easy. So that that that's a that's an art. So that I would say is a careful aspect of nightmare. How you execute. Um, the other thing I think is uh, still right. I talked about uh, the, the the first part of the question. It's not just dev and security. When you add in uh, DevOps, right? Uh, if security and DevOps hasn't worked it out of who's owning what, because DevOps is probably close to the pipeline or whatever technology that push, move from code to, to, to production and then security folks, right? So mm -hmm. what is the dynamics there? You know, are developers adopting the DevOps pipeline that they're trying to standardize? Mm -hmm. There might be some dynamics there, right? So if that hasn't been hashed out and if you add three ways together, there will be, uh, there will be uh, confusions. Same thing with SecOps, right? Um, larger organizations, even with the security team, there's quite silo just with AppSec and bone management. Bone management typically focus a lot more than AppSec, but they typically follow if one size fits all because all the bone management uh, methodologies and industry frameworks focus on more of a overarching holistics, not taking into account specific developer and AppSec dynamics. Same thing with uh, SecOps as in SOC. Right, you want to action the findings from production, right? How you bridge the feedback loop, not just shifting left. Well, so extend to the right or shift smart for Jeff said, right? right? So how do we even set ops to make sure that they can get alert on proper things that when they see a finding uh, from their end, from the SOC, that it gets pushed down. So avoiding confusion, we need to find an operating model. You have to think about all these players, not just them security. Yeah. So you think that's one of the situations that, 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 that make a nightmare scenario when people haven't really thought through all of the players that have got to be part of it? 
Yeah, part of it is thought through all the, the, the roles, being very granular, and two, reaching agreement consensus, right? There's obviously organizational politics, there are silos, uh, it's, a, it's a journey. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, thanks for that. So you've said that coaching and toolsmithing are still necessary. Can you give us specifics on how successful organizations are coaching? Are there specific areas where people need coaching and are there specific points in the life cycle that kind of cry out for coaching? Yeah, so coaching, you know, this is coaching around empowering developers to, you know, rise to code and build build their product securely, right, without really relying on external help. Mm -hmm. There's not enough experts to can mm -hmm. scale, right? Um, but I would say that coaching fundamentally start with building a trust. I keep saying building a trust because I've seen where successful coaching program happen when when the trust is built as you actually show empathy and dev trust you, they mm -hmm. will come to you all the problems. You don't have to go ask for it. They will just flood you with, how can I do this? How can I do that, right? That is actually a soft metrics to measure that they actually are listening to the coaching. Mm -hmm. Now, specifically around what to coach, right? Yeah. Um, every can start with talking about secure development, right? Training on secure development tactics, right? secure code. That is the most obvious part of it. Uh, but the less obvious ones are um, how how do you work with the other security members, right? Like again, the one who might be bone manager, who might be uh, uh, the one deciding what goes production. Uh, teach them how to uh, if some tools are tunable, how to tune the tool. But how do you empower the from a security people's lens, right? Um, they think about a lot of the mindset still critical high and low, right? They think about vulnerability severity, think about risks. Uh, well, if, if, if you can teach about around those kind of things, what the security team is looking for, mm -hmm. and they can proactively kind of address that, right? They can say, well, we've done a threat model. Uh, we believe that this high severity based on CBSS is not exploitable, does mm -hmm. not apply. Therefore, we can actually put a snooze button or we can say ignore. So empower them on how to work with uh, security teams, right? It's, it's one of the things that you also part of the coaching. Uh, one thing I, I mentioned earlier, since I, I brought DevOps in, the, in that mix, right? How, it depends, right? You know, if organization have a large security engineering team, and let's say that uh, you're, you're, you're part of that, right? Depends on who you work for. Uh, how do you work with the empowered dev well, how to work with DevOps team uh, is also an art, and there it, it, it kind of impacts security as well, right? So, being not just focused on uh, being the coach for security, but just help them do the job easy. One last comment I'm gonna say is it's very unanimous that we serve a lot of developers mm -hmm. uh, for the current challenges on this space. Uh, they all have probably one summarized in one voice. What do you really want? They said, "All I want." It tell me what I need to do now to, to fix this thing, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It sounds easy, but it's very difficult, right? Hmm. Okay. Tell me how to fix this, period. <laughs> that, that, this sounds like it's got a big span of answers that can be given. Okay, so let's talk about um, security champions. You you are seeing a lot of customers who want security champions, as in 
those who serve as both mentors and cheerleaders for security protocols. As I understand it, these people don't have to be security pros, but they do need to be good communicators since they, they're the ones bridging the gap between um, infosec gurus and ordinary employees. What other traits does a champion need and how do you help customers find or create these champions? Yeah, so uh, you asked me our last question around the coaching, right? Uh, I did not specifically talk about champions because one, I guess I, I, it's it's not as easy as people think. You know, I am a big, big fan of uh, security champions that's the only way to scale, right? To be self-sufficient. Um, so, but I've seen uh, champions program being successful, champions program being, you know, not successful. Hmm. Uh, we can start with trace, but also there's some examples where it's how you structure the program too, right? Okay. Traits-wise, it's definitely, you know, the idea is, you know, the champion come from somebody from a dev team, right? Okay. So that person's part of the team that's already integrated and just in the context, living the same life, mm -hmm. going through the challenges, doing the job with everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, the technical traits are not hard, right? send them through a bunch of training, no security development. Mm -hmm. um, but the other skills is the, the same skill that I would say, a, 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 like AppSec person or pen tester, is communication. Mm -hmm. Champions are probably easier to communicate with the dev teams within that dev team, right? Because you're part of the group. Mm -hmm. How does champion communicate with security team, right? Among others, is probably a soft skill you gotta learn. So I mentioned earlier in your questions, right? In response that, how do you talk to security team, various teams, yeah. uh, matters? One of the common things that I see the champion, champions program not go so well is that the champions program will focus so much on education training. Gamification is fine that you give them some awards, bragging rights to be mm -hmm. a champion. But one of the key ingredients that was missing is what are you doing to empower them from security? So if you, in other words, if I sign up to be a champion, am I able to really empower to make some security decisions for my team? Can I say no? Can I contribute to how you should define a severity of vulnerability? Mm -hmm. um, if, if that happens, then you just have to empower the champion to around those processes, right? Bring them into the security processes, have them be a contributor, also have them be the first line prover versus Okay, great champion, you do that, but we're still gonna hold the gates and keys. I'll give it to mm -hmm. them, right? So that's probably one of the secrets that I would say to make a successful champion program, as well as some of the additional traits that a good champion uh, needs to have is a communication outside of just development team. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You know, you actually empower them to change things uh, instead of it being kind of just a all the softer skills. That makes sense. Um, so. During your chat with Jeff, he said he views the idea of champions programs as a uh, transitional phase, that ultimately what you want is to get uh, to the point where you've worked off your backlog. Have you seen your customers manage to work off their backlogs to the point where they don't need security champions anymore? <laughs> uh, yes, on paper, oh. future state. Um, and I say that because I think we, we need to dream big for this. And I, that's why I respect and love to talk to Jeff, right? He's a visionary. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and I agree with him that ultimately you want to get there, right? But in reality, from what I've seen the field across all the different sides of the maturity, I would say that that reality is it's it's a long way to go. Um, I don't know if we're going to get there. I like to say we are, but I'll give you, you know, I'll give the audience a couple pointers on why it's difficult, right? Or how do we actually start? Um, we, we, you know, the first step is you got to separate um, net new versus existing. So stop the bleeding, right? Uh, but the backlog could have been a, a thousands, right? The more tool introduced, the more noise it is. Um, there's more uh, industry tools around these, you know, ASOC, right? Application security mm -hmm. orchestration and correlation. The idea is you want to have all the SaaS, SA, DAS, now adding containers, API security, cloud security into that big tool that does supposedly do duplication correlation. But just remember that, the, you know, there are these things that you're adding more to it, it's going to get bigger. Um, you want to off, work off backlog as much as possible, but I think what's going to take the long journey, uh, uh, organization long journey is to make sure that you don't add in more tools and avenues into this huge backlog, right? How can you reduce the backlog? Mm -hmm. So I think it's, uh, as long as the rate of backlog reduction is, is lower than the rate of backlog creation, and hopefully we'll get there one day. <laughs> Such good aspirational goals we have here. Um, so what are the most important factors that can get an organization to the point that their backlog has been worked off. I, I mean, I, I think you you kind of already answered that a bit um, by talking about you know, not adding new tools and new platforms into the mix. I, how can they how can they do that exactly? Yeah, so a couple uh, starters, right? Um, yeah, I, I said it earlier, you, you have to separate uh, uh, net new versus versus existing uh, because there's a lot more uh, impactful to fix existing production uh, issues. Um, as long as you you do the proper workflow and the right tools and processes, you know, as you have processes, you know, you don't even need to make the get the new finding to the backlog. You should fix it before the backlog, right? Yeah. Um, there's also the imperfection of you cannot get rid of vulnerabilities, right? To think about what how do you define being worked off? Um, look at a lot of open source vulnerabilities. A lot of them don't have no fixes. A lot of them have not exploitable. I would say the definition of worked up backlog is once you look at these uh, non-fixable supply chain vulnerabilities, um, when you have mitigating strategy, sometimes not fixing because you can't fix it. You didn't develop it. Then put a mark on what define what what done means, what remediation means. Uh, then I think that that's a way to work them off without really fixing every one of them because mm -hmm. you can't fix all of them. Uh, so that's that's to put just focus on a risk-based approach in the context of AppSec means that which one of these are fixable, which one of these are exploitable, um, what should we target first? Um, so that's probably a good start to get, uh, I would say uh, by experience, just do those three things, you can significantly reduce the backlog. That sounds like threat modeling to me. Is that is that about what you're talking about? Threat model is, is pieces of it. Uh, in order to tune the findings, right, or mitigate the findings, you got a threat model. So things that threat model does not pose a threat, then you might need to downgrade the severity, right? Trust your threat model more than CVSS. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. 
So let's talk about the misconception that expanding DevOps simply boils down to automating security and uh, testing as part of the development pipeline. You said that isn't the case, given that you're not necessarily reducing the noise when you do that. Um, could you define noise and explain what does, in fact, reduce it? Yeah, so I've been uh, observing and contributing to this whole DevSecOps, DevOps, DevSecOps for a couple of, what, seven, eight years now. You're seeing the, the talks, right? Um, I would say it's just that it depends on where you come from, and that's what's difficult, right? Uh, from a, if a lot of the DevOps talks, and I'm not here to, you know, kind of create my judgments, all that, but roughly mm -hmm. so, from a DevOps lens, right? What you care about is make sure, and not just security, all the tools are integrated, building a pipeline that has everything, right? So you, you make the developer's experience more easy and faster. So fine, they don't look at the lens of quality, right? If I integrate 10 security tools into my pipeline, if you Google DevSecOps pipeline, you will have plenty of very complex diagrams, arrows. Mm -hmm. All looks great, great, you know, wall frame. But think about what does that mean to a developer? You have all these findings, right? You have 10, 10 security tools. You have other testing tools, you know, QA testing tools, other stuff, all that you know, automate the, the ticket creation with top and backlog, right? Mm. Imagine if you don't qualify, right? You don't, you don't, you, you know, you don't, you don't unify, you don't think about what you're gonna do, the step of do something with all these outputs. If you just automate all these outputs to a place, yes, you got rid of the Excel spreadsheet, throw over the fence, mm -hmm. automate into Jira tickets, for example, but developers still have to review and action them. So, and that's the part of the misconception that it's, it's as much as just automating a tool. You have to think about the process with it. From a security perspective, right? You have to think about, you know, it's great, right? This is the contention is DevOps think, well, well this tool does 10 things, right? I'm not going to name the tool here, but plenty of DevOps tools now doing security. To them, it's, well, this does other dev DevOps use cases. Well, now to tell me, because they want to make more money, that I have security tool uh, capabilities, it's easy, right? I don't, the two lines of code in my automation is done. But when you do, you know, if you look at the accuracy of, the, of those uh, um, tools and the speed of those scans, Mm -hmm. Like, oh, wow, oh, wait a minute. How come the vendor did not tell me about the accuracy? You can do your own OWASP benchmark testing. You know that somebody is false positive very high. So the point yeah. is, it's not as easy. So you got to make sure the team work together. It's a balance. Yeah. I definitely ask about accuracy rates. Um, okay, let me ask you one other thing, Jimmy. Um, last question for you. You've said that everybody still thinks they need uh, SAST and DAST, static and dynamic application security testing, that they think it's a necessary evil. Do you, do you try to talk them out of that, that muscle memory or, or do you think they've got good reasons to stick to the older tools? Yeah, I think that and this is uh, my favorite topic, right? I mean, I know, you know I, I like the mission contrast, right? And what you do, mm -hmm. uh, but I would say, if you think about everything else we talked about, it's a journey. Right, yeah. um, just like uh, you know, get complete, get rid of backlog. It's not overnight. Uh, I, I think that I don't want to say SAS and DAS is necessarily evil. Um, I think that they need to embrace on newer 
technologies, mm -hmm. uh, like we talked about, right? How do we reduce the noise, provide context? So I think the SaaS um, is probably not going away anytime mm -hmm. soon because the amount of investment in using uh, SaaS, right? Now I see innovation in the SaaS world, right? A lot of from vendor perspective. Uh, there's a SaaS, you know, make it faster, make it uh, more accurate without compromise one or the other, make it more easy integrated, uh, give more context when you have SaaS SCS share telemetry. Uh, DAS too, right? I mean, I, I like IS, that's why I like contrast, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because it's a lot more, uh, you know, accurate and, and fast, but there are innovation happening in that space too. Um, as there's more language coverage and I, I know contrast does a good job. That's why I, I think that you're a leader because you have the most language coverage in IS. But you still not everything, right? Now, Jeff might, uh, might be mad at me saying that. Um, but I, I think that you got to have some kind of capability as part of the transition, right? Yeah. Um, what DAS can do is they can do crawling. Uh, we have some customers who just might not own all the apps that they can put agents on. So one way that DAS, good DAS can do is, is that, right? So I think it just uh, a key takeaway, I think, for the audience is that um, it's not all about tools, but tools are important. Uh, but you gotta, I think you should think about fill out what the gaps are before you try to rip them. But eventually have a phasing plan. Uh, but I think it's, it's less about having all the tools but versus how you actually address uh, the issues, which is uh, qualify the, the findings, give mm -hmm. more context, enable develops to do what they need to do. Awesome. Thank you so much. Jimmy, I know you're up against a hard stop and we're up against it right now. So I, you can drop off anytime you like, and I'm just going to read my little bits about why we are so grateful for you to, for coming on to give us your observations from the field uh, for, for the state of DevSecOps in 2023 and how you can kickstart or enhance your existing program. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to like, share, and leave us a comment if you've got suggestions for future podcasts or cybersecurity experts you'd love to hear from. You can get in touch with the Code Patrol crew at podcastideas at contrastsecurity.com. Have a great day. And whether you're just trying to set it up or want to polish what you've already got, good luck with your DevSecOps journey. Make sure to join us again for our next episode of Code Patrol. <laughs>